This is a KTF Press podcast. The idea of holding on to cultural influence and to being Christians who really want to influence the culture for Jesus always to me contained like an inherent contradiction, which is that the Mm -hmm. message of Jesus is specifically about giving up influence and power and your personal amassing of, of, of wealth and platforming and whatever. And there are so many people that are that, that want to gain relevance to spread that message of giving up a platform. Like it is a contradiction in terms. Welcome to Shake the Dust, leaving colonized faith for the kingdom of God. I'm Jonathan Walton, here with Cy Hoekstra. Susie's off this week because she is on an amazing vacation while we're recording. So today we're going to be talking about why we at KTF Press want people to stay so engaged in uh, political discipleship and the kinds of things that we talk about here, despite the fact that they are uh, sometimes incredibly exhausting <laughs> and <laughs> difficult to deal with. And uh, so this is a bit of a foundational conversation for us about why we why we do what we do um, and sparked by the article that Jonathan just wrote um, about Andy Stanley's new book. Andy Stanley is a pretty popular uh, white evangelical mega church pastor. I was going to say mega pastor, which sounds like uh, like a superhero, but uh, his we're, we don't want to pick on Andy Stanley necessarily in particular, but it's a it's you know a well known book that he just wrote that um, has pretty much the opposite perspective of us on how Christians should be engaged in politics. Uh, so we're going to talk about it. Before we do that, though, uh, as always, a reminder: please do go to ktfpress.com and look into becoming a. Uh, subscriber there at our website. You can sign up as a monthly or an annual subscriber that gets you our weekly newsletter, uh, which we'll probably talk about a little bit today because that is where Jonathan and Susie and I give you weekly recommendations on on things to read, to watch, to listen to uh, that will help you to try and grow in your discipleship and your political education um, as we try and leave colonized faith for the kingdom of God, as we always say on this show. Um, that also gets you the bonus episodes of this show, of which there are several hours at this point. Uh, and it also supports everything uh, that we do at KTF Press. Our subscribers are why we exist. We would not exist without them. Uh, and we really appreciate everybody who has decided to support us in that way. Also, uh, there are only probably a few episodes left in this season of our show. So please send in uh, any questions that you have about anything that you have heard on this show, uh, you can ask us about stuff from last season. You can just ask us about anything that is in the realm of the the topics that we cover. You can send in your questions in email or voicemail form to shake the dust at ktfpress.com. That's shake the dust at ktfpress.com. Uh, and we would just love to hear from you. The questions we got for the last time we did this were uh, fantastic. And they sparked some really great conversation. We would love to hear those again. So uh, I, I hear podcast hosts say this sometimes. And uh, rare has been the time that I personally have actually written in. But uh, a lot of times I end up regretting it because there are questions I have that I would love to hear other people discuss. And so any question you have that's uh, that's on the tip of your tongue right now, go write it down, send it to us, shake the dust at ktfpress.com. Okay, Jonathan's uh, article that he wrote that we were talking about is will be linked to in the show notes here. It is also the last recording in this podcast feed. If you just go to the previous podcast episode, it is Jonathan reading the essay. So you can uh, just go and listen to that now that we've gotten through all that. Um <laughs> 
Let's start our discussion today. I just wanted to start off with you explaining to us what exactly it is uh, that Andy Stanley and and sort of white moderate evangelical Christians uh, kind of advocate as how to posture yourself politically. Uh, and this would be coming from his new book, which is called Not In It to Win It. So what's he arguing for? Yeah, I think what he's arguing for um, is kind of caught in the in the title. Then so not in it to win it, then continues why choosing sides sidelines the church. And what he and a lot of white evangelical conservative people, along with generally conflict avoidant people, <laughs> uh, assume that the middle is the best and the superior option for engaging in conflict. So being too passionate, being too engaged, too conservative, too liberal, too anything um, is just somehow very unchristian. Divisive is the word. Divisive, right? Uh, Unnecessarily so. And so when that happens, we must be missing the real point of what Jesus is, is trying to communicate to us. And so I think our episode about tone policing actually gets into that a little bit. That's a bonus where, episode for subscribers. That, oh, that is a bonus episode. Sorry, That's fine. No, it's fine to tell them about it. Go back. Listen, yeah. go become a subscriber listen, and listen to what Jonathan's back. talking about. <laughs> um, but that episode really gets into this because the reality is no one who is suffering or broken or on the opposite side of power desires us to be neutral or moderate when it's happening. And when it's downstream, like if it's happening to us, we don't want folks to be neutral, right? Um, and so I think when we are neutral or claim the 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 superior middle ground, like there is no middle ground when it comes to injustice. Jesus does not take the middle. But if you are trying to maintain cultural influence, which is his biggest claim in this book, is that we should try to remain relevant to all people. And then he texts Jacks, Paul, and a lot of other places to say that, you know, becoming all people that you might win some, that does not mean embracing the political middle so that you can have the largest platform and reach the most people. That's not what that means. And he specifically wants, like, this is all under the banner of winning people for Jesus, right? You want to maintain your yes. cultural relevance by not being too divisive so that you can evangelize, right? And maintain right, your right. unity in the church so that we can focus on what really matters, which is getting people to heaven. Right. And so I think like what we are, um, what we're advocating or what we are trying to unpack is actually in a very succinct portion um, of the 10th chapter, the last chapter. And this is what he says. We have continued to allow we, the we being specifically white evangelical Christians in the United States. He doesn't say that, does he? He doesn't say that. I'm sorry. I say that as I read this book because (laughs) I am not included in the we that he is writing to. That's Uh very clear. Um, He says, we continued to allow us, we have continued to allow ourselves to be divided by secondary concerns while what our biggest concern should be continues to go unaddressed, namely division. Division is the threat. Division is the enemy. Because of its size, a united church in the United States with all its beautiful cultural diversity would have the influence necessary to move the nation back toward the middle, the place where problems actually get solved, the middle where defenses come down, experiences are shared, and people are inclined to listen to one another. 
pause to consider the non-Great Commission critical issues we've allowed to divide us. Everything from climate change to critical race theory to COVID, masks, and vaccines. Two doses, three doses, no doses, who knoses, why, <laughs> why, why would we, the light of the world, the salt of the earth, the hands and feet of Jesus, allow ourselves to be baited into debates and divided over questions about which we all have opinions informed by partial and skewed information. See, this is the most palatable, polite case for Christian nationalism I've ever read. Okay, so let's let's talk about that because some people would think that this is sort of opposed to Christian nationalism, right? Like a right. lot of people would hear that and think, oh, this is this is something that is fundamentally different from what the evangelicals who are super pro-Trump want. And Andy Stanley himself, not super pro-Trump, right? Um, mm-hmm. so so why do you think that this is the most palatable case for Christian nationalism? Right. I, I think we need to to remember um, a man named Jerry Falwell. <laughs> what I want to what I want to press into is what I get into the essay is that white American folk religion, you know, this conglomerate of Christian nationalism, white supremacy, and unchecked exploitative capitalism is like there are two ways that we can enforce what we're doing. We can do it explicitly with the power that we have or we can do it implicitly with the power that we have. And what Jerry Falwell called for with the moral majority is explicitly pushing for it. So the moral majority, organizations, conferences, there's a, their entire networks stemming down from 1980 of political organizations, religious organizations, churches, and now super PACs that drive this explicit agenda to, drive, to push our nation towards, quote unquote, living out the city on the hill, manifest destiny, doctrine of discovery. Um, but then there's this flip side where this this genteel, polite invitation to say, well, you know, we we are the greatest country in the world. Like, look at all the stuff that we have. Like, God has obviously blessed us. Let's be generous to those that God puts in our path. Not, and the reality is the people that are in our paths are going to be segregated. The people that are going to be in our past are going to be those people who are like us because of the society that we live in. The people that are going to be sitting beside us are going to be people who are just like us because our churches are segregated. We are downstream of a plantation-based colonial society. And so the people that we encounter are going to be just like us. And so if we're driving that narrative over and over again, what we're actually arguing for implicitly is the status quo. Right. If you follow Andy Stanley's logic. And if the status quo is racism, then right, when yeah. you're implicitly <laughs> ar- arguing for the status quo, you are implicitly arguing to maintain a, a racial structure, right? So right. It's, it's, right. I, I think this is, the, this is the point, like like he just said in the passage you just read, you know, division is the chief problem in the church. So mm-hmm. if you look at a problem like, just let's just stay on race, right? Racism is the thing that divides people, literally divides people into categories and and and, right. and sorts them mm-hmm. by their value accordingly. Right. In other words, if you are saying stop dividing us by talking about race, you're missing what the problem is and you mm-hmm. are actually causing or exacerbating existing divisions by arguing against divisiveness. Right. Here's what I take from that. Satan is real. <laughs> 
like right. <laughs> the layers there. If if you think that the country is divided by race in any significant way and you want to talk about it and do something about it, Andy Stanley is going to tell you to be quiet because it's too divisive. You talking about division is too divisive. It's just mm-hmm. it's it's kind of wild. So so like effectively what you're saying is the, the the title of the book is 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 um not in it to win it right he's like we're not going to get into the fight to like win the country for god because that's sort of not our role but the reality is that stanley and the people that he pastors and and white evangelicals in america are winning <laughs> regardless of whether mm-hmm. they're in it or not like if you want to let the the robert jeffries of the world or the the Franklin Grahams of the world do your dirty work for you, that's fine, but you're still winning. Mm-hmm. And you have the right. luxury to be able to sit back and say, I'm just going to talk to people about how they get to heaven. Uh, and, right. and this goes back to our very first episode that we actually no, Sorry. Our very first interview that we did um, with, with Rich Velotis and like, what is the nature of the gospel? Right? Cause Andy Stanley's gospel is just about telling, teaching people about forgiveness and getting them to heaven. And the gospel that we believe you actually find in scripture is about the announcement that the kingdom of God has come near, which includes the fact that the ambassadors of that kingdom are going to be people who fight for justice. Even when, as you say in our piece, in, in the piece you wrote, you know, Andy Stanley and his ilk are there telling you not to do so because it's too divisive. Right. And I think this is a, a great point to, to lean into where like, they're arguing against division and for unity, but it's actually unity masquerading as uniformity. And usually that gets thrown around in a tweet or like a sermon line. And everybody claps like, oh, unity, not, not uniformity. But the reality is like when we say unity, we are not talking about a uniform understanding of how politics should be done. We're not talking about a uniform way of serving and loving people in the world, right? We are actually supposed to work those things out as followers of Jesus. Yeah. We're actually supposed to pray through those things, wrestle with those things. It's not going to be the same for every single person. There isn't a formula for how you feed the homeless or how you fight sex trafficking and labor slavery or how you fight educational inequality. Like there's contextualized stuff that happens. And so wrestling with those things is part of of loving Jesus and loving our neighbors. So we actually are united in Christ. We're not united around a set of values handed down to us by the dominant culture. That then all of a sudden we create this ministry industrial complex where we just mass produce Christians. That's not how this works. Yeah. So so you're drawing a distinction between what Jesus prays for, which is love for one another, right? Like praise mm-hmm. for the church to be unified in love. And Mm -hmm. just having a lack of conflict. Like those loving and lack of conflict are two different things. Right. Like, I wonder what would have happened if Jesus had been conflict avoidant when he was literally carrying the cross and knew that Peter was like lying about knowing him. Like Jesus does not back away from conflict with Peter. He says, you were going to deny me three times. Yeah. <laughs> like Jesus does not back away from conflict when he walks through Samaria. Jesus does not back away from conflict when he gets between the crowd and the woman caught in adultery. Jesus does not, he he's not backing away from conflict, but he's actually uniting people around Jesus, around God, around what he's what God's new covenant is actually trying to do. And the new covenant that Jesus calls us to versus how Stanley is trying to 
cast a new covenant are two different things. God is not trying to unite us in a way that models a whitewashed, very neat, nice, uh, branded, wonderful campaign for people to sign up and follow, right? Like we are organized around a suffering savior who laid down his life, rose from the grave and is now seated at the right hand of the father, left and sent his spirit to dwell within us. That's a messy process. Yeah. And what do we celebrate every year at Christmas? Incarnation, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. It is. It is the. We have, look at look around at the world religions. One thing you can say for sure about Christianity is that staying above the fray, not not a not a characteristic of Jesus. <laughs> no, like no. that is not something. No. Regardless of what you think of Christianity, st- staying above the fray, not what Jesus is known for. Right. Like the the thing mm-hmm. is coming to Earth as a baby, getting involved in the mess, giving up your privilege, giving up your position of power, giving up your influence to mm-hmm. enter into the things that are very difficult uh, in order to love people and save people specifically. Mm-hmm. So, so which brings me to kind of another point, which I, I think is that you didn't get into this in your, in your piece because it was on a slightly different subject, but the idea of holding on to cultural influence and to being Christians who really want to influence the culture for Jesus always to me contained like, an inherent contradiction, which is that the mm-hmm. message of Jesus is specifically about giving up influence and power and your your sort of personal uh, amassing of 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 wealth and platforming and whatever. Mm-hmm. And there are so many people that are that that want to <laughs> gain you know gain relevance as as Stanley puts it, or gain influence or a platform or whatever to spread that message of giving up a platform. Like it is a contradiction in terms. To a certain degree, I realize I can we could nuance what I just said all day long, but mm-hmm. that is always going to be a complication. That's going to be a difficulty when you're when you're trying to argue evangelism based on platforming. If that makes sense, right? I think that if we are going to build institutions, then that requires a neatness that is not seen in the gospel. It's not seen in scripture. We are actively in the United States trying to build institutions that outlast us. We're constantly concerned about like our images. We're constantly concerned about managing and controlling narratives and all of those things. And Jesus was just not at all concerned about what people had to say about him. He literally told demons to be quiet when they knew who he was because it wasn't time for folks to know. And then he repeatedly unless the people the people at the bottom rung of the society the people that he was actually coming for right asked him who he was and he would tell them but the reality is there's something fundamentally different about what jesus is doing around influence around power around privilege privilege being things that you've received that you ain't do nothing to get that you are now called to use on behalf of the poor and the marginalized and those on the outside he leverages all of that for the least of these, not so that he can have more cultural relevance and increase his platform, but because he loves them and mm. loves us. Let me let me talk about a pastor who I think did something along these lines pretty pretty well, or or at least this was a moment for me where I realized that a pastor was doing something along these lines pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. So in in like 2015, when Black Lives Matter had had really like blown up on the scene, and there were 
protests all over New York City, especially related to the Eric Garner case, but to to all of the cases that were uh, going on at that time. The church that I was in at the time, it was which was a predominantly white church, tried to respond and tried to say some cautious things about how Black Lives Matter, and immediately lost people. Right, like people just walked out the doors that we were getting too political, all that, all that kind of stuff. So at some point, we had a meeting with a the pastor of a not entirely but majority black church in in the city who said you know what they did in response to those cases which was just mourn right like they just had prayer that was like mourning prayer like they were praying with people they were trying to shepherd people through that time and i actually asked the pastor so what do you do with the people who are like against mourning because they think it's too political or because they they don't really think that racism is happening to the degree that people think it is and it's not worth mourning over and and all that stuff like what happens what happened to those people when you did all that and he just goes oh they don't come to my church so he was just testifying to the truth like he was just doing what Jesus tells us to do he was telling he was mourning with those who mourn he was speaking the truth about injustice that happens and the chips fell where they may which is what Jesus did over and over again, right? He let people mm-hmm. go. He let people walk away when he when he said things that upset people and made them walk away. Like he wasn't chasing after them. He wasn't trying to make them more palatable. Again, you could nuance that and there's no reason to like completely unnecessarily offend someone. But you he was he was letting people leave. And mm-hmm. uh that like another way of saying that is he was being divisive, really right. divisive. To the point where <laughs> the majority of his followers completely walked away from his ministry. Right. And how we get from that to we need to be really soft in what we say to maintain our relevance to make sure people get to heaven is fairly stunning. <laughs> I think, you know, the passage that I read, the the image that he sets up right before that is of his kid going to the emergency room. And he's like, you know, when there's an emergency things that are important, like rise to the surface. And right now the American church is in a crisis. And so what should rise to the surface is spreading the gospel. Like that needs to be the priority. And, you know, I I literally had a conversation with someone where they said, Jonathan, you know, we're, we're not able, to, I'm not able to come to your church anymore because you, you focus too much on the marginalized and we just really need to focus on what matters. And so <laughs> what they've embraced is this reality that actually Brandy Miller talks about in her uh, in her podcast on urgency, like the urgency of evangelicals mm. and how that urgency gets framed in a way to, to basically where we live in a constant state of trauma, where we're always thinking someone is going to hell, like someone is going to miss the boat. Like someone is going to be cast in a lake of fire. Like there's always this, and that is just not peace. It, and it's our job to save all those people immediately. That's Yes, it's our job to save them. It's not just that we bear witness to God. It's that is the signpost that we're supposed to carry at all times, no matter what, in this urgent track throwing way, right? And that burden is not easy. And that burden is not light. Yeah. And it doesn't actually allow us to live the joyful, delight-filled, even lament and mournful ways that he calls us to. What's actually happening um, is all of the cards about our faith and about Jesus 
and about what is not that are basically coming out and being in full view. Like nobody's bluffing about what we believe. Nobody is, uh, it's becoming very, very clear about the fruit of the theology and the orthodoxy and the sermons and the message that we've been preaching over the last 35 years. Some uphold white supremacy and prioritize it as okay. Some don't, right? Some are pushing for explicitly moderate things or explicitly middle things or explicitly Christian nationalist things, but the, the cards are being played. But what's dangerous about this book is that the call is for your cards to come off the table and to placate the person in front of you to keep them in your church or keep them in your fold or keep them in your pocket or keep them in a relationship so that one day you might be able to pray Romans road with them or walk them down Romans road. I don't, Jonathan, this is all very good points you're making. I don't, what's Romans road. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Oh man. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. So when I was, when I was a student, someone said to me, Oh, you got to walk them down Romans road. And so Romans road is like, Romans one uh, sixteen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and so I'm going to share it with you. And then Romans three, it's like we're all sin and fallen short of the glory of God. Oh, so it's like it's like a method of walking people through. Romans yeah, to like share you the walk gospel people through, it and you get to Romans eight. And yeah, Romans of course, nine, yes, okay. Like you're loved by God. Not, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so they stop before they get to Romans twelve. We don't need to get to. This is stuff. a white people thing, right? Oh, for sure. I was going to say, if anything that ends at Romans 8, if Romans 8 is the culmination, it's a white people thing. (laughs) (laughs) Romans 8 is amazing, and I love it. And it is uh, apparently more important scripture than lots of other parts of scripture to a whole lot of conservative white people. (laughs) Yeah, man. It's it's good in context. It's amazing in context. Devoid of context, it's radically limiting but yeah <laughs> but yeah, yeah all, all that to say like i think if 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 your gospel ends at roman's road and not at the open tomb of jesus and his ascension into heaven and all that stuff then we have a problem right so th- this urgency thing for people who are unfamiliar or even if you are familiar and you just want like a, a something to point out that you might be familiar with um dl moody who's like a famous you know, theological conservative American evangelist. If you ever heard of Moody Bible Institute, that's that's him. <laughs> I didn't even make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Not um, so he he had this kind of famous image that basically the world that we're living in right now is a burning house, and we're just as Christians, all we're trying to do is pull as many people out of it as possible. Right. Like that's that's the goal of Christians, pull people out of the Birmingham house. And so that is that's the urgency. That's the emergency that you're talking about, that Stanley is talking mm-hmm. about. Right. We need to, like, stop talking about all these other issues because there's there's an emergency happening. And th- you said that, that, you know, that's not an easy burden. That's not a light burden. What it is, is trauma. Mm-hmm. Like it, it is never ending trauma. Right. Like you are mm-hmm. <laughs> you're comparing your your life, your whole existence on earth to like what is really a horrifying scenario, right? Like a burning house with people who are inside of it that you need to rescue. That's terrifying. Mm-hmm. And if you go through that, you're going to have a whole lot of stuff to deal with. And if your whole life is that, then you're going to have a whole stuff, like a whole lot of psychological stuff to deal with uh, that you're never going to have time or space to deal with because mm-hmm. you're trying to focus on what matters, which is just saving people. 
And, right. you know, like, like we've talked about before, like we're, we're not saying that the gospel doesn't save people. It's the opposite, right? <laughs> of course, the gospel saves people, right? Jesus came to save the world, but Jesus came to save the world. Jonathan and I didn't come to save the world. Jonathan and I right. came to testify, and all we are supposed to do is testify. And there's nothing that says anything hangs on how effectively we testify. In fact, the opposite is true, right? There is something that says if we don't testify, the rocks will cry out. Like God's yes. going to get his work done with or without us. And so, like, I, I honestly, when I, when I read that passage for the first time, Jonathan, or when you read it to me for the first time, I come away from that feeling bad for Andy Stanley, like genuinely just kind of sad about the the mental state in which he, he, he at least professes to exist. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and, and I'm not here and I don't want to be condescending to him either. I'm not saying, Oh, I feel bad for this little man or whatever. Right. And which is, I just, I, I want to like emphasize again that we are not, I said at the beginning that we're like not trying to knock Andy Stanley specifically. And now we've just talked for a very long time about, um, why we think he's super wrong on a whole lot of things, <laughs> but but those the are, are, the point that we're making is that like loving someone and saying that they're really wrong about something very important are not mutually exclusive. I don't hate right. Andy Stanley. I feel a little bit bad for him. Um, I wouldn't be condescending to him if I met him and say, "Oh, I feel bad for you." You know what I mean? Like those mm-hmm. are these are these are um, these are the kinds of conversations that we need to be able to have. We need to be able to say this book is. Uh, dangerous for America and American Christians, particularly at this point in our history, um, when there are so many things that we do need to address clearly <laughs> as a matter mm-hmm. of our gospel witness that are what Stanley would categorize as um, divisive distractions. I actually feel similar to Sai, which is why I do what I do. I don't do what I do because I'm angry all the time. I do what I do because Jesus has called me to love my neighbor and pray for my enemies and love those who persecute me and things like that. And he's he will actually do that if you ask him to transform your heart, which he has done for me. And so the lady who said to me, you know, your church focuses too much on the marginalized, so I can't go here. Or the person who is in my, anyway, I have a lot of conversations where people just feel like they can say whatever they want. (laughs) But the reality is like, if my response to the racism that people share with me or I engage with or, or, or hurts me and I am indifferent, like I'm missing out on the kingdom of God. Like I'm yeah. missing out on like genuine love for neighbor and genuine relationship and receiving genuine love from other people for me. Like when I withhold the conflict and carry them myself, or if I try to remain apolitical or avoid having conversation with racist family members, or like I don't challenge racist jokes and think, or I think, oh, politics doesn't affect me. Like what's actually happening is I'm acquiescing to the cultures and patterns of the world. And, and that is, we, we lose out, like we lose out on just beautiful depth of relationship on this side of heaven that Jesus modeled with his disciples, like doing conflict with them um, happened on a regular basis. Like they wrote down some of the things that Peter said, imagine what they didn't write down with the stuff that he said, you know, as they wrestled with Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan. I imagine him and Peter debrief that later, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like there's, I just wish we could do the same thing. There's also even like potential conflict in just like other people who Peter knew writing down the stories about when he got rebuked real hard by Jesus. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, that's just, but yeah. like that was just a story that people passed around. Like, and I, I, yeah, I, I completely agree that that is something that was, has been modeled for us. 
And um, I don't know, throwing that model away is just a little bit tragic because we've talked about this before, but there are so many good things that come from conflict. Like there are so yeah. many things about like you learning about what is important to people, right? Or or when you work through conflict, like figuring out how to be emotionally healthy, figuring out how to exist as a real community that is able to weather storms as opposed to one that just sweeps things under the rug. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and and we get like actual clear guidance on scripture about when we are supposed to to create conflict, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Like there are issues that are important to Jesus that we're supposed to speak out about and we can find um, what those are in scripture. And they are not solely the fact that Jesus saved you from your sin and you can therefore go to heaven. Yeah. I, I think if, you know, if you made it all the way to this part of the podcast, it, it <laughs> must be abundantly clear that being politically moderate does not make us more Christian. Yeah. You hear a lot. You hear a lot of um, people in the evangelical world talk about finding a political, like a different political way of being that will show people that you are not coming from an earthly perspective, but you're coming from a godly perspective, and that the marker of that, like that people, the, the way that people will know you have different priorities than the culture that you're in, is that you are too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals mm-hmm. um, because right. you're not following like one of the two ways laid out before you. But all that really means is that you're a moderate. <laughs> right. If, you, right. if you're right of the left and left of the right, you're just in the middle. That's all that means. <laughs> so right. that doesn't really indicate anything about your spirituality. It just makes you a moderate. And, and I, mm-hmm. I've, you know, there are plenty of people who read the Bible and come land on very different um uh, points on the political spectrum, all trying to be quite faithful with what they've read. And I, I don't think that just because you consistently vote for one party or the other, you are less spiritual or less heavenly or less discipled than if you kind of vote for people who are in the middle. Right. Um, you know, and I, if I can lean into the one other thing that my pastor said to me after this conversation is he said, Jonathan, you know, I would love for everyone to feel welcome at our church, but I don't want everyone to necessarily feel safe at our church. Like white supremacy is not safe at our church. Mm. Like racism is not safe at our church. Christian nationalism is not safe at our church. And I thought about that because I've been told that I'm a safe person, right? Um, Oh, I feel safe to say these things to you. And I thought to myself, that's a label that was given to me. That wasn't something that I actually desired, right? Like I actually desire to be someone that you could ask anything or share anything with, but there's this trait about Jesus that I'm still unpacking where he knew everything about someone and said like the truth in, in radical love and all these things but he didn't agree with everybody. He didn't think everybody was fine. He didn't say like these like placating things, but people were drawn to him. And I would love, particularly around political stuff, to be someone that does what Jesus did, where he is obviously with Pilate, like Pilate is drawn to Jesus. I mean, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. 
Like Jesus does not want the power that Pilate has. He's not interested. And that is baffling to Pilate, yeah. who's probably spent his entire life trying to protect, maintain, and attain power, right? Yeah. And Jesus is just not concerned with the Roman Empire in the ways that Peter would want him to be concerned with the Roman Empire or in the ways Pilate would want him to be concerned with the Roman Empire. The, the Roman Empire is literally under his feet, right? That's how Jesus knows and sees himself. So that's the end of my diatribe about that. But I think there's there's something transformative about naming why we are not too liberal for conservatives and too conservative for liberals and dismissing centrism as like the narrow and straight path to the kingdom of God. Yeah. Uh, amen to all that. That's, <laughs> I, I just completely agree. Yeah. I, I, the combination of being someone who is uncompromising, but also loving, like the, that's a hard line to walk, but it is a thing that I see in Jesus and want to right. emulate always. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I, there are so many things and so many people in so many different ways who will tell you that that is not possible, that you you have, there's a choice between being uncompromising and telling truth and mm-hmm. uh, being like someone who people want to hang out with regardless of <laughs> whether or not they agree with right. you. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, oh, so I, I'm sure there are, there are people who, who think the way that Anley Stanley does and, and, um, you know, we we hope that you hear from us uh, that we we just disagree. We don't hate you. <laughs> right, right. Like again, the problem is white supremacy. The problem is not you. Yeah. The problem is racism. The problem is not you. Like the problem is like we deeply desire for people to know and follow Jesus of Nazareth, not the Jesus of nationalism. Like in whatever form that comes. Like Jesus is about doing something different than the constitution, than what shows up in the majority of our churches in context. Like he, Jesus is amazing. If we would just read what he said and try to do it. I, I completely agree with that. And that is, that is actually one of the reasons we, we do the newsletter. Like we, we want to be able to have a space where we talk about all of those things in one place where we, mm-hmm. we discipleship, political education, learning about the world around us, speaking like truth about injustices. Like that is, that is what we're trying to, to do. Really. We're trying to lift up other people who did it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. We're as always trying to center and elevate marginalized voices and their stories and everything. Um, and, and that is why we, we send those things to people every week. Um, and we hope that some amount of those people read those things that we send. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the work that, I mean, I think the work that we do is important. Like, that's why I'm doing, that's why I do it, right? Um, But I I also think it's not just important just in, you know, in our church context, but like, Anley Stanley's right in that we should be working towards the renewal and redemption of people and our country and the world. Like, that's true, right? Um, and, And I'm sorry, and as we move into an election cycle as we move towards increased tensions as we move towards these things if we move away from conflict we are doing a dangerous disservice to the people who are suffering and the people who are inadvertently or intentionally inflicting suffering on people right like we actually have to enter into the darkness and believe that the darkness will not overcome in the same way that the darkness did not overcome christ 
For the same power that raised him from the grave lives in us. So let's go into the darkness with that marvelous light so that Jesus might be seen and known. Amen, Jonathan. That See, Jonathan's a preacher. And sometimes on our podcast, he gets in that mode and it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Before we go, please remember to check out ktfpress.com. Consider becoming a subscriber. Get that newsletter that we were just talking about. Get the bonus episodes of this podcast uh, and support everything we do here at KTF Press. Um, also, please remember any questions you have, comments, anything at all, write to shake the dust at ktfpress.com. That is shake the dust at ktfpress.com. And we may answer your question uh on a, on a future episode in a, in a few episodes we will be uh doing a season wrap-up where we have a little 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 mailbag session um so please write in record something on a voicemail send it to us we would really appreciate it okay as always our theme song is citizens by john Guerra. our podcast art is by jacqueline tam and we will see you all in a couple of weeks All right, my friend, get up, get up on your mic. Mm-hmm. My foot is elevated. I'm leaned into the pop filter. Your foot is elevated for podcasting mm. purposes, not because you injured your ankle. <laughs> both, both. <laughs> I'm in extra chill mode right now. No, we don't want that. Get energy. Get up. We got stuff. Oh, no, I'm good. We want to engage the audience. As soon as I start talking about this, I'm a, I, all the energy is going to be there. Yeah, that's true, actually. <laughs>